Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to Lighthouse Community. Glad you're here today. My name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors, and super glad you are with us today here in the building. I want to say uh, welcome to all of our guests. I do want to welcome uh, Fostoria Community and then everybody that's joining us at Lighthouse Online. Uh, thank you for being with us today as we journey through our teaching today. And as I was thinking about, you know, this topic of suffering and, and personally as it kind of touches each one of us in different ways, uh, I'm reminded of some of the different opportunities that I have as a, as a pastor where people will actually invite me into some of their most significant seasons in their life and, and when they're really suffering. And I found that uh, I really do come across two kinds of people that are going through suffering. Uh, one of them uh, kind of is in their suffering, they're actually very angry. Um, they're angry. Um, there's bitterness that's really welling and developing uh, deeply in their lives. There's a hard heartedness about what they're facing and what they're going through. And, um, you know, I think what's happening is they realize like they're losing this thing and there's nothing that they can do about it. There's no way to fight against it. And, and, and they're losing hope. And then, and then there's this other kind of people who I will go to visit them, and you walk in, and they have this clear sense of peace in their life. And they are blessing people as they come in, right? Like, I visited these people sometimes at the hospital, and I'll run into nurses and doctors and say, oh my goodness, they're, they're so kind, they're such a blessing to our staff. And we, uh, It's weird saying this, but we love having them here. And, uh, you know, um, I go there to encourage them, and I leave more encouraged than what I think that I brought, right? And these, these people almost seem to have this sense of joy just residing deep within them while they're going through their suffering. And, and I think about that, and it's like, what, what is this critical difference between those who seem to be crushed under the weight of their suffering and then those who seem to simply walk through it as another event that's going on in their life? Like, what, what delineates those two different kinds of people? Is it that, you know, one has a higher, you know, pain tolerance than the other? They've got, you know, really strong intestinal fortitude, and they can deal with this stuff or a, a more positive outlook on life. And what is it that seems to be the difference between these two kinds of people? And, but I wonder, it's, it's got to be more. It's got to be deeper than pain tolerance. It's got to be different than attitude and outlook. And it makes me wonder if there's actually something that would be accessible to all of us when we face seasons of suffering in our own lives. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. And so today what I want to do is, is I want to help all of us know how do we face suffering in our life and to know that the suffering that you and I face actually can have deep, profound meaning for us. And so if you brought a Bible, uh, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3 and, and read through that passage this morning. And uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 3 through 11, but we're really going to focus in on verses 9 and 10 today. And actually, when we get there on the screen, we'll probably pause and read those verses out loud together. But this is what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. 
It said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And this is where we're going to pick up and read these verses out loud together, starting with, indeed. Are you ready? At all of our locations, and go. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And then I'm going to read verse 11 for us. It says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so I want to focus in on verses 9 and 10 today and expose a few really central truths um, about suffering as we learn how to navigate through those. So the first truth is this, is that God uses suffering to shape our lives. God uses suffering to shape your life. And, And that's a very challenging truth for us to deal with and to kind of swallow and to even to think about that God would use suffering to shape our lives, right? Because we have this very limited view of suffering in our culture. In our culture, if somebody is suffering, it's because someone else did something wrong or God is punishing us. And those are the reasons that we suffer. But the Bible puts forward a very different message. The Bible actually puts forward the message that you can be living directly in the center of God's will, doing everything he desires for you to do, and still face suffering. This is the gospel, right? This is is the account of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came into our world, right? God in the flesh, and he relied on God every step of the way, and it led him to the greatest suffering that anybody could ever face, right? Read, read through the book of Acts. You'll see these apostles who are living under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and each one of them are facing suffering for the gospel. And so for us, it takes this change of perspective. We've got to look at suffering in a different way because God will actually use suffering to shape our lives. You know, it's very similar you know, this morning, Linda uh, has been, uh, I learned this week, it's called throwing, right? Throwing a pot. I, I said, hey, I'm really looking forward to you potting this week. <laughs> She's like, oh, dear Fritz. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, while, while she was throwing the pot, you know, as she's doing that, she took this, this lump of clay, just started out like out of shape and whatever, and, and it's spinning, she's molding, she's shaping it. And, and did you know that the scriptures 
especially in Isaiah, say that God is the potter and you and I are the, yeah. And so what God does is he molds us and he shapes us and he applies pressure and he squeezes and he does all, and he'll even use suffering to shape our lives. And I want you to catch this, that many times God will use suffering in our lives to accomplish things that could never take place without it. That's a very challenging thought to work through, right? Because it's painful, and sometimes it seems chaotic, and you're wondering, what is going on? And then, yet when you get on the other side of it, you begin to realize, right? 2020 vision, hindsight is this beautiful gift to be able to look back and to see what God has accomplished in that and through that. I appreciate what theologian D.R. McConnell wrote. He says that as followers of Christ... We often suffer not because we are out of God's will, but because we are in it. Not because we lack faith, but because we have faith. We suffer not because we need to be filled with the Spirit, but because we already are. Stronger faith does not mean less suffering, but more suffering means stronger faith. Far from calling our faith into question, our afflictions result in becoming more and more like Christ himself. Our afflictions result in becoming more and more like Christ himself. And so God uses suffering to shape our lives. The second thing is this, is that when you and I are suffering, by the way, and by the way, it's a win. It's not an if, okay? It is a win, And so when you and I face suffering in our lives, we're faced with a choice. And the choice is I either rely on myself or I rely on the Lord. That's the second truth, that when you're suffering, you're faced with a choice. Either rely on yourself or rely on God. And and Paul really talks about that here in verse 9. He says, listen, we were going through some really tough stuff. We thought we were going to die. We did not see how we were going to make it out of this thing. And we realized that we were at this decision moment, this inflection point, that we were either going to double down on our own efforts to figure this thing out, or we were going to rely on the Lord. That was the choice that we were facing, right? And I started to think, you know, that it almost begs the question, what does relying on yourself look like versus relying on the Lord? And and so I was just doing some digging, and I came across uh, a passage in Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 5, which quite frankly could not help us any more than it does uh, to differentiate between relying on ourselves versus relying on God. And this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. And so that's what it looks like to live relying on yourself. But then verse 7 picks up and it says this, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope 
and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. You have this stark contrast between those who live relying on themselves and those who live relying on God. And what the scriptures say is when the heat comes and when the seasons of drought show up, that li- and even outside of that time, that living relying on yourself is actually a curse. It's a curse to rely on your own ability, your own strength, your own wealth, your own influence, your own power. But there's a blessing. There's a blessing for those who discover and learn how to rely on God. And so when the heat comes and when the drought shows up, what it is is we have a choice to make. We have a decision whether I'm going to choose to rely on myself or whether I'm going to choose to rely on the Lord. And that's the choice that every single one of us is faced with when suffering shows up. And here's the third truth. And what I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now, my third truth is really pointing you on what choice to make. <laughs> so I'm just going to be real clear. The third truth is this from the passage, is that God is a rescuer. And so choose to rely on God. Right? God is a rescuer. Now, when we talk about suffering um, and we talk about... One of the things I think we really tend to focus in on is we, like to, we love the thought that God would rescue us from suffering. That when suffering begins to, you know, peek around the corner and it's, it's snarling and laughing and, and twisting its evil mustache, right? Like ready to jump at us. You know, we're like, oh great, God is going to rescue me from that suffering. But the fly in the ointment is this, is that often what God does is he actually rescues us through the suffering. That he doesn't always rescue us from it, but more often what he does is he rescues us through the suffering. But he's a rescuer, right? That's just what he does. And, and in fact, if you look through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you come across so many different accounts, right? Like look at Adam and Eve. It's in their sin, it's in their suffering that God rescues them, right? He could have destroyed them in the moment, but actually what does he do? He rescues them. In that, if you look in Exodus, you come and you find the nation of Israel. They're under oppression in slavery to Egypt. And what does God do? He doesn't rescue them so that they never have to deal with slavery. He actually rescues them through that. When you look in 1 Kings and you read about a prophet by the name of Elijah, probably one of the most, uh, most powerful in, in the nation of Israel, looked at him as amazing that when uh, Jezebel came to destroy him, it was God rescuing him through the suffering. Peter is in prison in the book of Acts for sharing the gospel, and it's while he's in prison, he thinks he's going to die, that God rescues him through the suffering. You look at Jesus. He dies on the cross. He's dead, and God rescued him through the resurrection, right? Why? Because God is a rescuer. Because what often happens is it's through suffering that God draws people to himself. You kind of begin to hit the basement. And it's like, what, what, am I gonna, what am I really going to put my hope in? What am I really going to trust in my life right now? And it's an opportunity to see God with clarity. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, you see from, from the moment he comes into earth, right, in, wrapped in, in flesh, 
all the way through his death, you begin to see every step of the way he's relying on God. He's relying on him through life. He's relying on him up to his death, through his death, right? Even buried in the tomb. Because what happens three days later after Jesus is killed and he's buried? It's through his death. It's through his suffering. It's through his humiliation. It's through his torture that the greatest victory comes and God rescued Jesus from death. Why would God do that? Why would he do something like that? Here's here's one of the reasons. Some of you, this will be a reminder. Others, this will be the first time you've ever heard this. There is a form of suffering that is far worse than anything you will ever experience in this life and in this world. And the Bible gives that form of suffering a name. It's called hell. And what hell is, is hell is this total, complete, eternal separation from God. See, what people like to do is they go, you know, oh man, it's, it's you know, they'll kind of joke. It's like, well, it's not really a place. It's the heat that'll get you, but it's a dry heat, right? And, uh, and, and so they'll like focus on the heat and the pitchforks and the brimstone and the whatever. And the reality is that you're actually missing what the core aspect of hell is. It's complete, total removal of God. We're not in that now, right? We all experience a level of his grace and his goodness and all of those things. But hell is complete, total removal forever. There is no hope that you will ever encounter him and his goodness and his character ever again. That is the worst form of suffering you will ever face. And nobody in this room or any room that's joining us has even come close to sniffing that level of suffering. And Jesus stepped right into that on our behalf. And it's actually through faith in his work and in his resurrection that God rescues us from that. And so it's amazing as we look at the life of Jesus, who he lived and he relied on God for absolutely everything. And now because he did that, now you and I can rely on Jesus the same way that Jesus relied on God. That's, that's, what, that's what salvation really is at its core. Because God's a rescuer. And so we kind of started with this question of like, how does God use suffering in my life? And we've kind of painted this kind of positive picture of suffering that it's this invitation, right? It's this opportunity for God to shape you and to mold you and to show you as a rescue. And so there's a little bit of level where some might go, well, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go look, I'm going to go find me some suffering, right? I'm going to go look for it so God can shape me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not advocating for that at all, okay? I'm not saying you should go looking for it. And I'm definitely not saying that like when your friend or your family member or whoever you come across, they're in their suffering. You know, you look down on them. You're like, now you stay there until you learn the lesson that God wants you to learn, right? I'm, I'm not saying that at all either, right? Because there's all over the scripture. It's like we can alleviate people in their hunger and their thirst and, you know, their poverty, their nakedness, all of those types of things. And so alleviating and bringing comfort in discomfort and in suffering is totally biblical. But what I am saying is this, is we've got to have a shift in our view towards suffering. And I think the biggest one is this is that in your suffering, and quite frankly, within all of your life, rely on God. Rely on God. And I want to very quickly walk through five ways that you and I can learn how to rely on God. And the first one is this, is you've got to change your mind about God. What I mean by that is this. Every single one of us starts out 
separated from God. We have this bent towards independence, towards self-reliance, towards I can do this and I can figure this thing out. That is the essence of sin. And sin always separates us from God. And so what we have to do is we've got to change our mind about God. And we begin to see that actually a life lived relying on God is a blessing. And a life lived on relying on myself is actually a curse. And it's not worth it. And so the, the central way, the first way you make that shift is belief. This is what the scriptures say. It's belief. You believe that Jesus is who he said he is. You believe that Jesus' work really does change your life. He really has forgiven you if you put your faith in him. He really does, right? And, and what happens when you say yes to Jesus by faith, when you put your trust in him, you're, you're adopted, you're forgiven, you're saved. And, and God like lives inside of you. Think about that. The Holy Spirit shows up within you. And what he does is he's constantly transforming your mind and your thoughts. And he's, he's inviting you to rely on God more and resist relying on yourself. This is what he does. But you got to change your mind about who God is. That's the first one. The second is this, is you have to learn who God is. You have to learn who God is. And the most effective way to do that is through reading and reflecting on the Bible. And what we tend to do is we tend to focus in, we read a passage, we go, what should I do? Right? I, should, I should go serve this person. I should go do that. I should whatever. We look for an action. We look for a command, all of that. What I would encourage you is pause before you get there. And to start with a place is what does this say about God's character? Who is God from this passage? Just on Wednesday, I, I met with a friend of mine for breakfast. And uh, pretty quickly, we, we opened up the Bible and we were reading from Matthew chapter 22. And in the first place we went after reading, it's like, how's this identifying God? And really quickly, we realized that this was, this was making the point that God is an inviter, right? He's like invites people from all over to come and join him for the celebration, to, to walk with him, to live with him. There's like this, this, you know, God is an amazing inviter, but not everybody says yes to his invitation, right? Some actually come up with other, you know, it's like, well, I, you know, work's really busy right now, or I just bought a new cow. Uh, you know, I really, I got to go look at them. And, uh, and yeah, and so I got other stuff to do. And so, you know, lots of invitations, but, but not everybody accepts that invitation. And, and when you spend time reflecting on who God is from the scriptures, it will actually change the way you walk through your suffering. There's a woman by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you may be familiar with her. When she was 17 years old, uh, she was involved in a diving accident that left her fully paralyzed. I mean, just total quadriplegic. Um, and she uh, has been journeying through that for the last 50 plus years of her life. And God actually led her to begin a ministry that was really uh, crafted around that. And so if there's somebody who has had a firsthand glimpse of suffering for a long, long time in her life, it's Johnny. And I appreciate what she writes when she says this. Uh, look at this. She says, God has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. The greatest good suffering can do for me is to increase my capacity for God. And I really want you to listen to this. Real satisfaction comes not in understanding God's motives. God, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? How could this be going on in my life? But in understanding his character. 
in uh, trusting his promises and in leaning on him and resting in him as the sovereign who knows what he is doing and does all things well. Real satisfaction does not come in understanding God's motives, but in understanding his character. Knowing who God is will change how you rely on him through your suffering and through any season of life. And so discover who he is. The third way to learn how to rely on God is to talk with God and to listen to God. What I'm really talking about here is prayer, right? And, and what prayer is, prayer is way more than like a list of wishes. And I, I wish this happens and I hope this happens and throwing a coin in the well and, you know, the, here it goes. Uh, what prayer really, you know what prayer really is? Prayer is aligning my thoughts with God's thoughts. Prayer is aligning my will with the will of God. And, and one, of the, one of the most helpful things that I have uh, discovered to do over the last probably two or three years is inviting the scriptures to shape how I pray. What I mean by that is I'll read a passage of scripture and I'll spend time reflecting like, God, what are you, what are you teaching here? What are you saying about yourself? And, and what is the truth that you're, you're putting forward here? Once I've discovered that, then in my own personal time of prayer, I spend time worshiping God for what I'm learning. I spend time confessing using the truth that I just learned. And I spend time asking based on the truth that I just discovered. And so I thought, you know, if I was going to use the passage we're teaching on today, 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10, I would read that and I would just spend time reflecting. What is this saying about who God is and what's this really teaching? And a couple of things it's saying is it's saying God is a rescuer. God is the one who resurrects people from the dead. But the other thing it's teaching is rely on him instead of anyone or anything else. And so if I were going to take that and turn that into shaping my prayer time, what I would probably do is I would spend the beginning part of my prayer just worshiping God, worshiping him as a rescuer, like recounting the times that I can remember from the scriptures of where God has rescued people, recounting times where God has rescued me in my life and praising him and worshiping him for him. I would worship him for resurrecting Jesus Christ and the fact that I have access to him by faith, right? And there's no work for me to accomplish. He's done it all. And then I would move to letting that shape my time of confession. And I would probably ask the Holy Spirit to help me identify ways today and yesterday or recently that I've been relying on myself instead of relying on him. And I would confess those things and I would ask him for forgiveness. I'd probably confess that God, sometimes I get really afraid of things like pain and death. And I don't want to go anywhere near either of those at any point in my life. And then I would move to asking. And I would think about the different situations that are, I'm thinking about or weighing me down. And I would ask in regards to God as the rescuer. You know, God, I'm thinking about this friend of mine. And I'm wondering if you would show up as the rescuer. And you would show her that she doesn't have to rely on herself. I'd pray those things for myself. I'd pray for my wife and my kids. I'd pray for you as my church family. But I would use the truth of that passage to, to lead me through the things that I ask for. But when you begin to learn how to talk with God and you learn how to listen to him through prayer, it will change the way that you navigate suffering in your life. A fourth way is to build friendships with other growing disciples, build friendships with other growing disciples. And so what, what happens is when we face suffering, what we tend to do is, is we get embarrassed. There's a level of embarrassment because it's like, well, if I was stronger, 
then I wouldn't be going through this. If I was smarter, I would have avoided this. If I was whatever, then I wouldn't be facing this. So there comes with this level of embarrassment. And then what we've learned to do is we've learned to isolate at different levels, right? We close other people out. We don't let them in. But here's what I would say. The scripture really says, walk with others, right? When Paul was going through his most severe uh, suffering that he describes here, he was with his team. He was with other believers and they walked together through this thing. And so you and I have learned how to isolate. We can actually unlearn how to isolate. And we can learn how to rely on the Lord and on each other. And just a super practical way is what Larry and Heidi were talking, or excuse me, Larry and Nikki were talking about earlier this morning, like small groups, like small groups, just straight up, it is at the beginning, it is artificially creating relationships. Uh, just call it what it is. Because you're like, well, this is the best day. This is the best time. I don't think I really know anybody there, but I'm going to join. And so you're kind of artificially creating friendships. But what happens, you know what the Lord does? Those artificial friendships start becoming real. And these are the people you start praying with and you're like relying on and you're reaching out to them when you're going through tough stuff. And like when you get arrested at two o'clock in the morning, these are people you can call and come bail you out, right? Like that, that's what, that's what these people become, right? Like this is my family, these are my friends. And so you got to build relations, friendships with these other growing disciples if you're going to learn how to rely on God. And the last one is this, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do my best to be quick, is you got to learn how to repent, Learn to repent. And you might be going, didn't we already talk about this? Yes and no. I'm talking about continual, ongoing repentance. Because what happens is this, when suffering shows up and knocks on your door and comes into your living room and sits down and makes itself at home, what happens is we start feeling all kinds of feelings. Things like fear and worry and anxiety. And what's behind those feelings of fear and worry and anxiety? Well, we start thinking about who am I in, in the midst of all that. Well, I'm not in control, and I've got to get control back. Well, what does that say about what God has done? It's like, well, that means that God has abandoned me, and I have to figure this thing out by myself. Well, what does that mean about who God is? Well, it means God is unloving, it means God is uncaring, and he's not present. And so what you, when that happens... What I think you need is you got to identify and work through all of those things. Because what you're doing when you do that is you're confessing sin. You're confessing lies. You're confessing sins, right, that, that you have bought into. And so when you recognize that and you start confessing those things, what, what you do is you repent. And when I say repent, I mean you change your mind, right? You change your mind. And you do that intentionally. You're gonna, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to change my mind right now. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start by describing who God is from the Scriptures. I know that the Bible says that God is love, that he is present, that he is powerful, right? That he has a plan. Okay, well then what has God done? Well, Jesus has already died in my place and faced the absolute worst suffering that anybody could face, and he did that for me. And he's put his Holy Spirit in me. Well, what does that mean about you now? It means that I'm not alone. It means that God is with me, and I can trust him, and I'm loved, and God is present. And do you know what happens? You know what you're doing there? You're confessing faith. 
A lot of times we talk about confessing sin, but just as equally important is confessing faith in that process. And so you confess the sin, you identify the sin, and then you repent and you confess the faith. And when you do that, you know what happens? The fruit of the Spirit begins to well up in your life. You begin to experience fear is replaced by patience. Anxiety is replaced by love and joy. You begin to sense things like hope and long-suffering, and all of those things begin to happen simply because you learned how to repent. And so you've got to learn how to rely on God. And those are five ways you can do that. And, and one more practical thing that you might, a next step you might take this week is actually to spend time reading some of the biblical accounts of God rescuing people and then just reflecting and meditating on those. And then let those shape the way you pray this week. And so we've actually created a guide called the God God is a rescuer guide. And if you want to receive that, just mark that on your connection card, either on the card or online or whatever. Make sure you include your email address because what we'll do is we'll email that to you tomorrow, uh, probably late morning. And then you can have these four or five, I think, uh, accounts and read through and reflect on those and let those shape your your time of prayer and, and learn how to rely on God through that. But you've got to know that you were made to rely on God in every single season of your life, whether you're suffering or not. But what's interesting is very often we actually need times of suffering to grab our attention and to kind of like make us <laughs> remember that we need to rely on God. And, and just for a moment, I want you to listen to the story of a friend of mine who's, they're in the midst of that now, and they are learning again and again how to rely on God through the suffering that you're facing. So I'd, I'd like you to take a look at this. Um, so once you graduate high school, the typical path is to get a job, go to college, uh, you get married, you buy the house with the picket fence, and then you start a family. Perfect. <laughs> we love awkward. So... We tried on our own for quite a while and then we went to um, my primary care doctor and talked with him and ended up at specialists and tried all of the medical ways to help that along and through the journey um, really struggled. There were lots and lots of tears. There were times of why would God do this to me? Going through this, it really led to trusting in his plan, knowing it's better than what I want for my own life. Now, don't get me wrong, um, there are days I definitely still struggle with this, um, days that I take it back from God. There are days when I'm still real angry, and through this, it's definitely caused me to lean on him more, to trust in him more. Um, it's given me a different appreciation for my family, for the children that are in there, to really double down on what I want to do in their lives. Um, if I'm not going to have my own biological children, I will make a difference for the next generation. Really knowing that Carrying this weight isn't my own to carry, to, to give it back to God, to trust that He knows best, to lean in 
on the opportunities that he does present in my life to make an impact on the next generation, to, to double down and to look for what he has already blessed me with. Quite frankly, I shake my fist back at God and ask, how dare you? To then remember what he has done already for me, I have no room to say, how dare you? And that I will carry this as I honor him because he's already done so much. It's actually many times through utter helplessness that we see in a new, fresh way the God who resurrects from the dead. And and what happens is this new, deep awareness of suffering actually tends to be partnered with this new, deep faith in God who raises from the dead. This new deep faith in God who rescues people. Rely on God. That's, that's who he is. That's what he invites us to do. I want to invite you to bow your head to pray. And I just want you to ask this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I simply want you to listen to him. God, when I think about it, I, we don't, we, we just need you. We just need you more than anything else. And I don't know what everybody's facing in this room. But I know you're the only one who's wise enough and strong enough and available enough to guide us through what seems like death and bring us to resurrection. And I'm wondering if you would grant us courage and faith to be able to trust you in that kind of a way. Here's what I want to ask everybody at Lighthouse to do right now. At Fostoria, you're probably going to be receiving some other instructions right now. But here at Lighthouse, I'm going to ask everybody to do this. Just go ahead and stand as we prepare to worship right now. As you're standing, one of the things we care deeply about is is prayer. And so what we're going to do is the band's going to lead us in one more song. And during that song, we're going to have prayer leaders available in the four corners of the room. And I'm going to ask those prayer leaders, if you'll start making your way to those corners now, and most of them will be wearing a badge on there that says, uh, you know, prayer team or something along those lines. But they're going to be available to pray with you about any area of your life at all. And anytime during this song, you can just head to one of these corners and, and they will pray with you about anything. And you don't have to be embarrassed, right? You don't have to wonder, like, what's anybody going to think if I go forward for prayer? Most people will be worshiping the Lord. Um, they won't even see you we'll go forward. So I want to pray for you, and then I want to invite you to come and pray as well. Holy Spirit, in a room of this size with this many people, 
Um, there are all kinds of things that we're facing. And some of us are relying on ourselves. Some of us are learning for the first time how to rely on you. And some of us are going back to you again and again and again and again. And I pray no matter where we are on that spectrum, that today we would plant a flag in the ground saying, maybe I've never relied on God before, but I'm going to do it today. And they would plant that flag through prayer. And so, Holy Spirit, will you draw every single person who needs prayer right now in Jesus' name? Amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.